What up, everybody? This is Chef Jack Harris at the uh, Talk Team Podcast. This is Jade with the Jessica Northrup team from Denver, Colorado, and you are listening to the Real Talk Podcast. Sarah, welcome to another episode of Real Talk with our good friend and commercial specialist at Compass, Jake Velasquez. Jake, welcome. Thank you. How you doing? Good. Danielle's here with us. Hey, how's it going? Nice. <laughs> I'm just happy to be here. Oh, man, and I'm so glad you're here, man. I, this is our, what is this, our second Friday Fire breakfast? Second. We're, we're at the, the Jones, located in NoHo, on Great Jones Street. Uh, our good friend, Chef Jack Harris, is also here just walked past us. He is manning the kitchen right now. And uh, I just wanted to talk about Jake's business, how he's doing with his commercial activities, what kind of leases he's working on, and a little background story about how he got into the business, which is probably very interesting for our listeners. And uh, yeah, Vidal has, has a set of questions. He's my co-host today. So sit back and enjoy. Jake, please tell me a little bit about yourself, where you came from, how you got into Compass, Urban Compass, how you met Rob. Yeah. Uh, well, first, thanks for having me. I think last time I was 45 minutes late. Yeah, you were. I appreciate you uh, having me back. Despite that. So, uh, I got into real estate at 18 years old. It was my grandfather. His friend was the president of a developer called Rockbridge. Rockbridge. Uh, which then became TF Cornerstone. It, it used to be TF Cornerstone. Well, they split. No, Rockbridge split. Both TF right. so, and Rockbridge. It was I the brothers. Yeah. I was in a brother. So, I was just a shower of, like, apartments. Uh, no intention to be in real estate. But I ended up really liking it. Uh, through that, I met a friend who uh, we worked at like a top shop brokerage together. Uh, it was like a Craigslist brokerage. What was it called? Anchor. Oh yeah. This so right. All right. All right. We, we don't we don't like to talk bad about our competitors here. Sorry, I'll take that. I'll give. I'll give. Keep it. I worked there. Wait, but this, this, are they chop chopping or they're still around? Are they? They're just. They're sort of like a Craigslist broker. Yeah, they're still around. Yeah. But I worked there for six months and like became friends with this kid Zach, uh, and he ended up leaving for a company called Urban Compass. Which at the time I think it was like 10 employees. Uh, I was at that time like 21, and he somehow got me an interview. I was still taking classes in college and everything, so I didn't think I had any chance for a job. But luckily, uh, I guess Rob or Gordon or one of them liked me. Actually, I think Rob initially said he didn't think I was confident enough. <laughs> but whatever, at least they hired me. And I started at Urban Compass uh, in 2013, March 2013. With Zach. With Zach as a neighborhood specialist with the red backpack and everything. Uh, and it was two months before we launched uh, Urban Compass with Mayor Bloomberg in May. Mm. And then, yeah, so I worked in residential for a couple of years, and then along the way, just decided it wasn't for me. Met Dave Graff, and he joined, and got into commercial leasing four years ago. Well, what was it like in the early days of Urban Compass, before brokers were even present? Uh, I think it was more similar to, like, any startup that goes through, like, pivot changes and turbulence. So there's a lot of, there was, like, a split between people that really believed in 
uh, the company or people that, you know, got into a company thinking it would be a tech company and started to realize that it was a real estate company. So I think there was a lot of, like, tension between those types of employees and Unfortunately, it led to like a lot of turnover, especially when we switched to the commission agent model. Right. Uh, but it was obviously the right idea. Once we did that, we kind of like took off. So. Uh, the early days before that, I think it was like sort of a dark period. Right, because the engineers thought they were disrupting brokers. Yeah. That's why they joined. And then the brokers were now joining them. And it went from disrupting brokers to helping brokers, which I don't know if everyone was on board with. Right. But now, like you were saying before, there's engineers that are passionate about changing real estate. But back then, it was a little different. Did you sense that when you got off the salary model to the commission model, that you would also leave the industry like the other builders? Because, to tell you the truth, I think you're one of the only ones that made it through the whole process to this day. The, the, more, the change from urban compass to compass to this day. So, actually, when they switched the commission, uh, I was like closing a lot of deals as a neighborhood specialist. So I, within like 30 seconds of them switching to commission, I said I would I would be a commission agent. So I was actually a manager. Because you make more money then. Yeah, 100%. Like I was actually a manager with a small team. We did Murray Hill. Uh, it was like four neighborhood specialists. And in a meeting, Rob said we're switching to commission. And in front of my whole team, I said that I would be a commission agent. So then, I guess, I don't know, people either left or switched. Like, that was... <laughs> I don't know, I've noticed in the early days of Compass, it was kind of like, get with it or get left behind. Sorry, I got, yeah, I got with it. Yeah, I got with it. You got with it. Yeah, you got with it. And then when did you decide to change completely to commercial and why? The biggest reason was weekend. That was like the number one reason. And my first, honestly. Yeah, I want my lunch Commercial agents don't work weekends. That was like a huge selling point. So that was number one. And then uh, number two, I just thought I would like it better, like dealing with businesses. Just because I think residential agents are amazing at like marketing, not only themselves, but properties. And that's just never been my forte. Uh, the things I was good at, I don't think really helped me in residential, but I thought they may help me in commercial. So when I switched, it like, the first year was tough, but after the first year, everything, you know, I knew I made the right decision. Nice, cool. So Danielle, my co-host, has a few questions for you. They might be difficult, so if you can't answer them, if you can't answer them, I'll call David Graff and I'll ask him. What are some of the biggest challenges you face in commercial estate? Ooh, lowball question. It's a softball. Warm it up. Yeah, that's a warm I think the biggest challenges are just there's a lot of cooks in the kitchen on commercial deals. You're dealing with architects, contractors, designers, brokers, landlords, attorneys, So, oh, so my man. We got, we, got, we got Chef Jack Harris here. No, it's good, brother. All good. Thank you for the food, man. That was good. Thanks. Um, if I were to have a signed uh, picture of Joe Jackson Gibbs in my house, do you think that it would increase the value by at least $200? I would say at least two, maybe two things. So, <laughs> Joe Gibbs is, so, 
one of our guys that we follow at NBC Sports, he's the lead reporter for the Redskins at NBC Sports Washington. And it's just a pretty big job, right? Everybody in the DC metro area knows him. He's kind of like he's kind of like the, the guy. And if he wants to put his home on the market, and there were photos all over the house of him in like legendary sports DC sports figures in the DC market, and his home was in DC or this DMD called uh, Denver, the DC Metro Virginia area, Maryland Virginia area. If there was a photo of the reporter and a legendary coach of the Redskins, Joe Gates, you never heard of him. Would it increase the value of the home? I would say yes. <laughs> I think in the DC metro area. Yeah, that's yeah, what I'm. Yeah, yeah. I'm not saying. I agree. I agree. I'm not saying he's selling his house in, in, in he he's selling his house in Montauk. I don't know about that. One. No, no, no. <laughs> it would, but it would increase in equity. It would increase in equity. <laughs> he's asking because he did a TV show about equity. <laughs> If this guy was if this guy was selling his home in Montauk and the photo was there, it's like no big deal. It's like who cares? Who cares? Or in Colorado or Jersey, like who cares? But it was in Silver Spring, Maryland. Silver Spring, Maryland. There's a little bit of weight there. Oh, this well, this home is owned by legendary reporter NBC. Wow. Maybe a subconscious I, I thing, too. Like, they don't even realize there's something about that house. I, really like. I showed a buyer a house that has photos of uh, Bill Clinton, Hillary Clinton, George Bush, the original George Bush. And it was I was thinking, who is this? I looked into, I looked into all of the murals that they had. It was a 60 Minutes report. Oh, really? co-op in the Upper West Side. Yeah. I think you told me that. Yeah. It was, it was cool. So, you know, it adds a little bit of that. Some, yeah, some of the course has lived here. Like, it adds a little bit more mystique and equity. Wouldn't you take some fucking pictures with you? I was moving out of my house with a picture. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Of course, you would take it with you, but... During the sale, it's gonna be hanging up. Uh, you're, you're staging the shit out of that house. Yeah, let's let's go. Let's do this. Let's flaunt my status. Yeah, we're staging it, basically. All this memorabilia. Exactly. Yeah, I think people would be more. You have a, I swear to God, you I have, really think like I would be. Like, I wouldn't even know, probably, but I'd be like, there's something about that house that makes me want it more. Yeah, man. I'm willing to pay another quarter million dollars. <laughs> I, wouldn't say, I wouldn't say that much, but it certainly does add a little bit of mystique and value to it. Yeah. So that, that's what your episode about losing equity is basically about. <laughs> I would say this too. One is that there's a lot of people involved on the deal. The residential or investment sales is a transfer of property. So the owner and the buyer don't really care so much about like what the person's going to do with it when it's deal's done. Yeah. And commercial leasing, it's a partnership for 10 years. So there's architects, GCs, landlords, tenant, and brokers involved. So there's just a lot of people. And because it's a 10-year partnership, uh, the deals can take forever. So that's challenge number one. Challenge number two is you can lease a space to a restaurant, let's say, a gym, a clothing store. Each one of those deals is going to look different. So there's a lot of like variables on each deal. So it's just 
would say it's the time and the uh, like unknown of like what every deal will present. What's the what's the typical timeline for uh, tenant specialist, tenant side specialist, commercial broker to get to sign one deal? It depends on the deal, but I could give one as like like let's say last year, like a ten year deal for a psychology group. Uh, we probably passively looked for like a year, but maybe like really looked for like a month, you know, like where we dug in. We found the space in a month, negotiated the uh, letter of intent, the LOI, for probably like three weeks. Went to the attorneys, they drafted up the lease. The lease probably took two months, and now then the deal's done, and get, you get half your commission. Then the tenant, the landlord will build his space out to a certain extent, and the tenant builds his space out. That could be the next like three to six months. Then there's a free rent period, and when that free rent period's over, I get my second payment. So between meeting the client to getting fully paid on a deal, it's like a year to a year and a half. Doing the deal might be like three months, but you're not going to get paid right right away. But for just to clarify for some of our listeners, the commission structure is very different than residential. You actually get paid in subsequent years depending on the structure. Right? Well, it's usually the standard would be two or three payments. You always get one of those payments when the deal's done. But one of the payments uh, after the free rent period or possession of the space. And then one of those payments, if it's three payments, six months from then. So it'll be like on signing six months from then. And then for, for bigger leases, don't you get paid like on the second year of renewal or the third year of renewal? No, so, on, so let's say a 10 year lease, you're going to still get paid two or three payments. But in 10 years, if you're still their broker, uh, and they renew, you'll get paid on the renewal. Uh, so if they sign a three year lease, in three years they renew, you get paid on the renewal. Yeah, one or the other. Or that they don't, just hope they don't go out of business. What's some of the clients you work with? It's hard to get harder. I would say it was definitely not the coolest deal because they were, it was sort of a pain to do, but uh, the coolest is probably one of the first medical marijuana dispensaries in New York. Yes. It's actually the first retail level one in New York. Like, that was kind of cool to work on. Um, and then, I, that doesn't sound sexy, but uh, the psychology group I work with is really cool. Like, they're very cutting edge and they're a young company. So I really enjoyed working with them. Was it like therapy or something? They do this. I don't know what I'm allowed to say. Oh, you give us general. general. They do this thing called like uh, TMS. It just seems like whatever they're doing, not a lot of people are doing, and it like it just seems very groundbreaking. I just don't. Yeah, I don't know what I'm allowed to like. Oh good. Oh good. Do you prefer office or retail Okay, definitely. So retail leasing is more exciting because it's like restaurants and like gyms and like the places you're gonna go. But as a broker, I definitely prefer office leasing because office, so from the tenant side, which is what I like to do most, like work with actual business, uh, you get a full commission. So like, let's say the commission is $100,000. In a retail deal, each broker gets 50000 On an office deal, the tenant broker gets 100000 and the listing broker gets 50000 So just from like a financial standpoint, I like office better. And the deals seem to be a little easier. 
Uh, I mean, there's still going to be difficult, but like retail, there's much more variable. Like if you if it's a restaurant, you need to worry about venting, liquor license, licenses, and all this permits. Stuff. So I think yeah. retail is almost more work for less money. It doesn't mean I don't like the way that adds up. <laughs> <laughs> so all, yeah, it's probably all. Makes sense. How has the commercial industry changed from when you first started five years ago to today? Uh, the two biggest, so in the retail market, retail is like really, it's, it's sort of like dead right now, and it might just be going through like an adjustment period, but no one really knows. Is that like because Amazon, of Amazon? Yeah, like Amazon kind of changed it. If you walk around New York, there's so many empty stores. So many. And it's so noticeable. I know, it's crazy. And when I first got into retail, it was already starting, but it's, it's actually shocking to see how, how bad it is now. So you see the difference for 100%. And it's so like retail businesses have to be more creative. The landlords are like really ready to make deals. I think if you have a retail business that you think could do well in this like climate, then you it is a good time to open. Yeah. Uh, and then in office, the biggest change has been the co-working stuff. Like we work in hotel and all that. Uh, I actually like it because it absorbs the smaller tenants that I probably wouldn't really want to spend too much time on. They, it's easier to tell them to go to a WeWork or a yeah. hotel, yeah. and then when they grow out of that, it comes to us. Uh, the only thing, though, is that WeWork and hotel take a lot of space, a lot of the inventory to provide them. Uh, but I would, yeah, I think those are the two biggest changes that I see. Talking about empty retail spaces, I think Albany proposed a new legislation where the law mandates that the landlord must lease their space within a certain time period. Otherwise, they don't get fined or they'll get taxed by the government. What do you think about that? I So, I think it's a good idea for some landlords because there's some landlords that are definitely greedy, uh, maybe, that are just like holding out and they don't have debt on the building. So they're just going to let their stores sit empty until like it bounces back or until they find the right tenant. And sometimes they do that to a fault. What do you do that? What do you mean by right tenant? You probably mean the tenant that's going to overpay or give them the money that they want to get. Right tenant now is more likely like Starbucks. What's that? Sure. Just someone you know is not going to go out. Sure. So, and they, it's almost like, it's like a gold, uh, it's like you could take that to a bank. It's a pot of gold. If you wanted to refinance, and it's like that lease is like ironclad, you know, sure. it's Starbucks. They're never going to go out. Whereas if you have like a big coffee shop, it's a little risky, and a bank might not want to like give you some financing or sure. whatever. So, but yeah, so I think it's good in some aspects. I don't think it's good for like certain. I feel like a lot of times a big reason the tenants are going out is because of not necessarily a greedy landlord, but really high real estate taxes. Retail tenants 
usually take on the biggest portion of the real estate tax because it's the most valuable piece of the building. They have to have an increase on the tax. The New York City taxes keep going up. Retail tenants' tax liability goes up every year. Sure. And so a lot of times they go out of business because they're paying rent and then a huge tax bill also. So I think it's good to like incentivize landlords to increase their space. But I think there's another problem, and that's like taxes going up like crazy every year. It's like driving to the south. That would be okay. Yeah. <laughs> right. Okay. For for from the out from Albany's perspective, all they see is landlords being evil. They see brokers maybe not necessarily in the best light either. The proposed government changes, I think, are so, somewhat an effect of Trump America being super right and a state like. New York, where it's very democratic, it's very liberal, are now polarizing, they're choosing sides, and they're becoming super left. Do you think that's, that impact is, have you, have you seen that impact, or do you, what do you think about that? Uh, I don't know, it's an interesting point. I think that probably does play a role, but it, it plays a role, but it's making it like almost impossible to be a landlord in New York. I think there needs to be some middle ground. Sure. Because yeah. they're, on the residential side, they're free to rent increases. Yeah. And on the like, commercial landlords have a lot to gain, sure, but they also take by far the most risk. Like, think about how many restaurants fail in the first year, second year. Sure. Yeah. So, in order to do a deal, the landlord's paying broker commissions, which is on a 10-year lease is about four months rent. They're, paying, they're usually giving a new tenant six months free, and then they're also paying attorney fees. They might put some work into the space. They're already a year in the hole before the lease is even signed. Not also, they can see. mortgage payments. Think about vacancy. vacancy. So, like, they're taking huge risks. So it's like, I agree, some landlords are greedy. But there's a lot of landlords that just know, like, I'm not I'm not owning a building to lose money. You know, like, the whole point is to, like, profit or at least, you know, like, build equity into it and to make the numbers work. Right, right. Yeah, that, that, that completely makes sense. And I, I, I think Trump being the big... We don't like to talk about politics here. No religion, no politics. But Trump being Trump, and he is a quote-unquote big, bad landlord, the big developer, I think America in general, especially the Democratic states, sees that as, you know, oh, an evil, a necessary evil that we must fight. Yeah, but you'll get to a point where no one's going to want to... Sure, and then I think the free, the free market and capital, the capitalistic market's eventually going to correct itself, yeah. and it's going to teach everybody a lesson. Yeah, right. So. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Okay, great. Uh, that. Let's see here, what? We're, we're about to wrap up here. Thank you for your time. But do you have any other uh, lasting things that you'd like to say about your business, your services, to listeners? Just know if anyone is looking for a commercial space in New York, let me know. Uh, what do you specialize? Is that compass? I Sorry. specialize in tenant leasing. I'll leasing. point you at the end again. I'll uh, point you at the beginning too, but yeah. So mostly, uh, so I specialize mostly in office tenant leasing. I also do retail. I'd say most of my business is within the medical community, since we're a doctor, retail, hotel, uh, and in the apartment, let's talk and then don't know. All right. Thank you for listening to Real Talk. Danielle's gonna sign off.